from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Could this be something that you'd be interested in? And we did backflips. We said, oh my goodness, yes. So it's not something that's like, oh, let's go four hours away, right? It's it's their space. Um, and so we wanted to, to connect with those institutions, but also to connect with those communities. So thinking about, say, the great um, deposits of iron ore near Potosi and the old mines area. Great benches, great stoves, um, really fabulous modernist sculptures in the 1960s came from these local materials. And then also how the wealth that those materials um, funneled into those communities. I'm Sarah Fenske. A major new exhibition opens at the St. Louis Art Museum this weekend. Art Along the Rivers, a bicentennial celebration, is tied to the state's 200th birthday. But it's not strictly about Missouri art or even those 200 years. And while the rivers provide geographic focus, it's not mostly about them either. What it is really is a look at centuries of art inspired by and made within the confluence of three great American rivers. And here now to explain more is Melissa Wolf. She is the curator of American art at the St. Louis Art Museum. Melissa, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. And we're also joined today by Amy Torbert. She's the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation Assistant Curator of American Art at the St. Louis Art Museum. Amy, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. So, Melissa, I want to start with you. When you talk about art along the rivers, what do you mean by that? Well, um, it means we wanted to look at, I should sort of back up a little bit, we wanted to do something in conjunction with the Bicentennial. But we really saw this more as an opportunity rather than to think about statehood, to think about a region that we all know really well, right? That feels like home, it's familiar, It's um, we share it with uh, you know a thousand years of, of other peoples at least. And so we really, took this small region that is defined by the confluence of the three most powerful rivers in North America, as you say, but really to look very closely at the communities and the art communities that have formed there. So the art along the rivers is really about this location that's defined by the confluence and how that has influenced the art that's here. You know, it brought people, the um, the routes through here, and the kinds of people that it brought here, the kinds of artists, all make it a really sort of special and in some ways a very unique um, a unique art history based on the uh, based on the geography and where it is. Absolutely. I mean, looking at this art, it feels like this could only all come together here. But the one thing I find myself wondering as I think of how you guys organize this exhibition, a lot of people might have chosen to look at where the Missouri River hits the Mississippi River. <laughs> you guys chose to also bring the Ohio River into it. What led you to that choice? Well, we were thinking really about, um, about a region. And so uh, Amy and I although we are Americanists, you know, we're not specialists in this area. And um, so it was sort of twofold, right? We wanted to reach out to other institutions in the region that we just did not know. And so it was a little bit of a, I mean, not selfish reason, but it was a little bit of our um, thinking as a way to make connections with other institutions, people who have artwork who we just didn't know about. Hmm. And and um, so that was sort of it. So we looked at an area that we thought 
the people in this area, number one, would come to St. Louis. It's within a driving distance. Mm -hmm. They still think of it as their region. So it's not something that's like, oh, let's go four hours away, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's their space. Um, and so we wanted to to connect with those institutions, but also to connect with those communities and, and to, to make their connection to the museum and to what we do and our connection to them and what they do stronger. So we picked, we went down to the Ohio because in fact, that's still part of this, this culture of a thousand years. And it's certainly still, we feel a part of a regional culture here. So, Amy, when I'm thinking of Sykeston or Cape Girardeau, I'm not necessarily thinking of those as hotbeds of art, but I am not an expert into this. Did you find things in that area where this really did end up adding depth and breadth to this exhibition? Oh, we absolutely did. I mean, we really started from the idea that every community, no matter how small or every town or every place, has objects that are important to them. Um, and so in the case of many of the towns to the south of St. Louis, um, many of the objects that we discovered, as Melissa just said, this is not necessarily our area of scholarly expertise, or it wasn't, it is now. It is now. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, but what we discovered in those places were really great connections between local materials there. So thinking about, say, the great um, deposits of iron ore in near Potosi and the mm. old mines area and how both um, objects made from iron, so great benches, great stoves, um, really fabulous modernist sculptures in the 1960s came from these local materials. And then also how the wealth that those materials um, funneled into those communities impacted artistic production there. So this fabulous set of um, portraits from the 1840s made in Potosi of the Cresswell family, for instance. Um, so definitely, even though, you know, St. Louis was the place that had an art museum in the 19th century and art schools starting in the 1860s um, and great maybe collections of European art in the in 1880s or well, definitely 80s, 18 teens is what I meant mm -hmm. to say there. Um, even though St. Louis is the place you think about as a locus of fine arts, really there were these histories throughout our region. Um, mm. And those were some of the greatest discoveries that the two of us made. And part of what I love about this show and what you've got in it is there really are discoveries. You didn't just go and like pick the best from local museums. You were like going and talking to, <laughs> I can't think of a better word, random individuals <laughs> and sort of harvesting the best things that they were aware of. Melissa, this kind of was a journey for the two of you. It was. It was, you know, we always talk about road trip photography or road trips, and this was definitely an art history road trip. We, we started from scratch, and we literally... Um, just sort of said, along with our research assistant, Beth Rubin, who is so much a part of the show, just said, well, let's go find institutions or let's go, you know, what are the communities and what's there? And we literally just sort of cold called, <laughs> really, these different institutions and say, we want to come visit. And it was a, it was remarkable. And it was amazing. And um, I have such a firm belief in what, what I call local knowledge, which is, you know, those local institutions and communities know what they have. It isn't like we discovered something and it was in a closet somewhere and they did. It's not that way at all. We went there and they told us stories and fabulous objects. And, um, and so, you know, it was really us 
learning from them. And but it was completely road trips, many road trips, <laughs> many road <laughs> of trips of discovery, and some amazing finds. Amy, I think this quilt that you guys um, got in Hannibal is just such a great example. Tell us the story of this. Absolutely. So one of these places where we went um, was, of course, Hannibal, Missouri. So this is so the exhibition, as we've said, is focused on this region around St. Louis and Hannibal is its northmost point. So we went up to Hannibal and the place that we wanted to visit maybe most there is a place called Jim's Journey, which is a museum dedicated to the history of African-American people in Hannibal. Jim taking its name from the character in Huckleberry Finn. Precisely. Um, And so this is a museum with a great collection founded um, by a woman named Faye Dant. And so we visited there. Faye gave us a tour of her space. And on our way out, as we were talking about possibilities that we might be able to borrow for this exhibition to show to a maybe more local population in St. Louis, as well as any other visitors who come, Faye said, well, you know, my husband's family has this really phenomenal quilt that was made by one of his ancestors um, who had been enslaved in the, well, before the Civil War, and then made this really terrific, um, creative, interesting um, quilt in a crazy quilt design um, in the 1880s, maybe early 1890s. Um, Could this be something that you'd be interested in? And we did backflips. We said, oh my goodness, yes. And so this beautiful quilt is in our first gallery. When you walk into the space, it's one of the first things you see. Um, And it really tells the history of um, this particular family and African-American artistic production um, following the Civil War, shortly after the Civil War. How cool. And and I feel like, um, you know, curators trying to take the easy way out in an exhibition like this might say, okay, it was, you know, white European men who were wealthy enough to be able to make art. And so that's just what we're going to have to feature up until you get to like the last 40 years. Sorry, this is just the way history goes. You guys did not Mm -hmm. fall back on that at all. Melissa, there's so many examples throughout this show, but it seems like there's also extensive um, holdings related to Native American art. Yes, there are. And actually, that was, you know, the big question for Amy and myself was, um, how do you celebrate a bicentennial in 2021? How do you acknowledge the things that we know about telling history? As you said, it's sort of lots of white men, right? And so how do you counter that and yet still celebrate these objects? And so we, and that's one reason why we didn't try to cover the entire state, because statehood is an Anglo definition of land, and even it's an Anglo definition of time. Time, just 200 years. And so that's one reason why we drew closer to look at our own communities and also went broader. And so we go back a thousand years to the Mississippian culture all the way up to, I think the most recent work is was made in 2020. And so we do include all of these voices. And we talk about this in the exhibition that, you know, that we have an obligation to do that as a as a state that came in as a slaveholding state, as one of all 50 states, right, that were created out of the removal of Native American nations. And so how do we look at that production and the way in which that history um, can be seen in objects and to really acknowledge that and and to then celebrate those objects that were made. And so, yes, there's a very strong um, contingent of work by African-Americans, by women, by Native Americans, and they're mixed completely in it. It isn't like we say, okay, well, here are women artists or anything, because that's just not the way the show is. So they're all in a dialogue about the experience of this same 
landscape. And Amy, one thing that was impressive to me along these same lines is how you handled the World's Fair and specifically the Philippine reservation that was on site. There's been a lot of reporting lately about just some of the terrible things that happened to Filipinos who were brought here and exhibited Mm -hmm. in the World's Fair. Um, Art-wise, you didn't just rely on art from 1904. Yes. Um, So really, as Melissa said throughout the exhibition, we very much wanted to include works by contemporary living practicing artists in each one of these thematic sections. But because this show is not, say, a biennial of art that's being made in St. Louis right now, we wanted to pick contemporary artists whose works spoke directly to the historical objects in the exhibition. And so perhaps the one of the most interesting examples is um, a work that some St. Louisans might have already seen, actually, at the Contemporary Art Museum a few years ago, but by an artist uh, named Stephanie Sihuko, um, and it's called Block Out the Sun. And so she takes a really close look at the histories of picturing Filipinos, um, people who were brought to St. Louis, as you said, for the World's Fair. Um, and so her work pushes back against the idea that they were simply objects um, that could be on dis- that were on display. So her work tries to recapture part of their privacy. But in our exhibition, we also wanted to pair her work with um, artistic production um, uh, made by Filipino people who exhibited at the fair. So there were many types of exhibits as part of the Philippine Reservation, as this part of the fair was called. And so there were really beautiful textiles and baskets, um, include uh, also a fabulous men's backpack. Mm. And so we borrowed uh, six of those objects to put in dialogue with Stephanie's work to both her work shows how we might be able to rethink aspects of the Filipino Reservation, Philippine Reservation now, but then their works by Filipino artists themselves from 1904 for also show them to be fully, I mean, very much engaging with the same artistic um, dialogues and excellence as the Anglo-inspired paintings um, and works of decorative arts nearby. We're talking today about Art Along the Rivers. This is the new show that opens at the St. Louis Art Museum. It opens this Sunday to members of the general public. Um, There's just so much here, so many amazing finds. Um, One of the things I was somewhat interested in is one section of this show, you talk about art as an advocate. I was intrigued. You go back to an 1847 painting that to me, this just looks like a landscape. This is a bucolic river scene. How does that fit into the advocacy that this show delves into, (laughs) Melissa? Well, we knew we would probably have to include uh, George Caleb Bingham. <laughs> and I appreciate that you did. I mean, this is a lovely painting. But, you know, as it was with all of these objects, one of our one of our main ideas is that objects can say so many different things and can can hold their own in so many different dialogues and languages. And so most people might look at Bingham as, you know, a celebration of the river and a Missouri artist, but he was also a politician. Mm -hmm. And those politics play out in many of his paintings. So the work that's included in the show is raftsmen playing cards, and they're on a raft, and they're playing cards, and they're healthy looking and everything. And very 
small in the in the river, you see what's called a snag, right? So a branch, and then there's a sandbar in the background. And they're sort of quiet, but those were major, major um, hazards to commerce, the, to the commerce that was just beginning to increase on the, on the Missouri and the Mississippi River. So Bingham paints this painting as a way to advocate for federal funds to clean up the rivers. He's advocating that this western land, right, this western area, which it was seen at the time, um, could um, could sustain commercial development, could sustain using these rivers as commerce and, and would, you know, increase the wealth of Anglo-America. And so it's a it's a political painting in that way, which most people probably miss, but it's definitely there. How interesting. Amy, do you see a through line from that to some of the works in this show that were inspired by the, the Ferguson movement and, and some of these 20th century things that the show chronicles? Yes, absolutely. I mean, what we really would love our visitors to take away from that art as advocate section um, is the idea that works have really powerful meanings and messages. Is Mess, multiple messages, um, and and so one can um, artists, you know, use v- work in visual ways to communicate um, really the most pressing social issues of their times. Hmm. Well, there is so much in this exhibit. I keep saying this, but every time I have paged through the, the book, I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. I want to see this in person. I want to see that in person. Melissa, is there one piece we haven't talked about today that you'd want to highlight for people who are planning a visit and, and want to make sure they, they hit something interesting? Oh, gosh. Amy, what should we talk about? Oh, I mean, it's like trying to pick a favorite child. Like, go for it. So we have a bison robe in the show. It's in the very first gallery that is a fabulous loan. The um, uh, the um, History Museum in Bern, Switzerland, lent it to us, which is just so amazing in this COVID time and that they allowed it to go out. But um, it's so important um, because it's one of the few robes painted by a Native American that we know who painted it and we know, therefore, the scenes that are on the robe. And and it's a it's sort of an icon of Northern Plains painting. It's a very important work. And what I love about it is that you you read it in a different way. You read it visually. So there are Anglo-European derived styles of portraiture, right? And in fact, this Matotope, this artist, was also a war leader and a religious leader. But he uh, met both George um, uh, George Catlin and also Carl Bodmer, who were European trained artists working in what was then the West, and they both painted his portrait. So we have Matotope's portrait by Carl Bodmer in a, you know, illusionistic, you know, him, right? It looks visually like him. But then we also have a self-portrait by Matotope on his robe that is a that is not illusionistic. It it uses flattened forms to depict the things that make Matotope who he is to his community. Hmm. So there are the different um, times in battle where he showed bravery or leadership or courage, um, you know, a dedication to his community. And that's how he is defined by, that's how his portrait is defined. So I love it that you you learn to read in a different visual language, which is sort of in one way what this is what this is all about. Hmm. Well, if you want to see that, you're going to have to go to Art Along the Rivers. You can do that beginning this Sunday. Um, that's at the St. Louis Art Museum. It runs all the way through January 3rd. We've got all the details on our website 
website. That's stlonair.show. You can also get them at slam.org. That is the website for the St. Louis Art Museum. Uh, Melissa Wolf, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Melissa is the curator of American art at the St. Louis Art Museum. So thank you. Thank you. And also thank you to Amy Torbert, who's the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation Assistant Curator of American Art. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This episode was produced by Sarah Fenske with audio engineering by Aaron Dore and production assistance from Jane Mather Glass. It was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.